Stand by for Places presents Layouts and Lena by Yorke Butler. Directed and sound designed by Graydon Gund. Music by Anna Stefanik. Sound editing by The White. Produced by Frida Mattia and Graydon Gund. Starring, in order of appearance, Montgomery Morrow as Leance, Enrique Willie as tutor and first servant, William Burns as Valerio, Scott Corey as King Peter, Fatty Kirko as second servant and curate, Kevin Sebastian as the president, prefect, and master of ceremonies, Anna Stefanik as Rosetta and the schoolmaster, Margie Zarcone as Lena, Alexandra Kopko as the governess. Open country, an inn in the background. <sighs> so much in this world is Prince, I'm telling you. Space, space, and more space. No, not at all. To me, it's like a narrow hall of mirrors. I scarcely dare stretch out my hands for fear of banging into it on every side and finding the beautiful pictures lying in pieces at my feet. And therefore, before my eyes, the bare blank wall. I'm lost. That's nobody's loss but his that finds you. I'll take a rest quite soon in my shadow's shadow. You're evaporating clean away in the sun. You see that beautiful cloud up there? It contains at least a quarter of you. It's gazing down in perfect contentment upon your grosser material self. It wouldn't harm your own head if they shaved it bare and made the cloud fall on it drip by drip in the best Chinese fashion. What an appealing idea. We've already passed through a dozen principalities, half a dozen grand duchies, and a couple of kingdoms at breakneck speed in half a day, and why? Because you ought to be king and marry a beautiful princess. What a ghastly prospect. And you'll carry on living. Your resignation is quite beyond me. It's beyond me why you haven't swallowed arsenic, climbed onto the parapet of a high church tower, and put a bullet in your brain just to make sure. Ideals, Valerio, ideals. I have this ideal of a woman within me and must go and seek it. She is infinitely beautiful and infinitely mindless. Her beauty is as helpless and touching as a newborn child. Such an exquisite contrast, these eyes of heavenly stupidity, this mouth of godlike inanity, this profile of asinine sublimity, this deadness of mind in the spiritual body. Can you beat it? We're back at the border. This country's like an onion, skin within skin within skin. We're like Chinese boxes. In the bigger box, smaller boxes. In the smallest box, nothing! Is this bundle to be my gravestone? There you are, Prince. I am becoming philosophical. A perfect image of human life. I hope this bundle with bleeding feet through freezing snow and scorching sun just because I like a clean shot of an evening. And when at last my evening comes, I have sunken eyes, a furrowed brow, and hollow cheeks. Just enough time to pull my shirt to serve as my shroud. Wouldn't I have been wiser to take the bundle from its stick, flog it at the next best inn, get drunk on the proceeds, then sleep in the shade until the evening came? That way I'd have avoided the pouring sweat and the painful cords. And now, Prince, it's time to apply our new theory and practice. 
Out of sheer modesty, we shall now proceed to clothe thee in a man in jacket and trousers. Well, dear bundle, what about that? Off to the inn. Such delectable smells, such sweet aromas of roasted wine. And you, dear trousers, you're taking root, you're sprouting, you're biting with fruit. Great clusters of grapes are dangling in my mouth. The press is at work and the juice is bubbling. <sighs> the day is bewitched, I'm sure. The sun's not going down, and it's such an eternity since we made our escape. Not at all, dear heart. <laughs> the goodbye flowers I picked as we left the garden have scarcely wilted. And where shall we sleep? We've come across nothing at all so far. Wherever I look, no cloister, no hermit, not even a shepherd. <sighs> our dreams were very different, I suppose, as we read our books behind the walls of our garden. A mist myrtle and oleander. Oh, how disgusting the world is. And not the slightest chance of a wandering prince. Oh, how beautiful the world is. And oh, so wide, so infinitely wide. I'd like to carry on like this forever. Night and day, nothing stirs. The red of the cuckoo flowers glows and dances over the meadow, and the distant mountains rest on the earth like slumbering clouds. Oh, dear Jesus, what will people say? And yet it's, it's all so delicate and, and, and feminine. It's self-denial, that's what it is. It's like the sacred flight of Saint Otilia. But we must find shelter. It's getting late. Yes. The plants are closing their tiny leaves for sleep. The rays of sunlight nod on the slender blades of grass like tired dragonflies. The Garden of the Inn Prince, don't your trousers make for a delicious drink? Don't your boots slip down your throat with the greatest of ease? See the ancient trees, the hedges, the flowers. They all have their stories to tell. Their own precious little secret stories. See the ancient friendly faces amongst the vines by the inn door. Look how they sit there clasping their hands. Afraid because they're so old and the world's so young. Oh, Valerio, I'm so young and the world's so old. I get frightened for myself at times and could sit in a corner and weep hot tears out of sheer self-pity. Take this glass, this, this diver's bell, and sink into a sea of wine so it froths and sparkles above your head. See, above the delicate bloom of the wine, the hovering elves with shoes of gold and tinkling cymbals. Come on, Valerio, we must do something. We must do something. Let's busy ourselves with profound thoughts. Let's consider the serious question of why a chair stands on three legs, but not on two. And why we wipe our noses with our fingers and not with our feet. 
like the flies. Come, let's anatomize ants and count the filaments of flowers. I shall yet contrive to embrace some princely pastime or other. I shall yet discover some infantile bobble that only drops from my fingers when I turn up my toes. I still have a sizable amount of enthusiasm to use up, but once I've got it all nicely warmed, it takes me an eternity to find a suitable spoon. And in the meantime, it's all gone cold again. Ergo Bibimus, let us drink! This bottle is neither demanding love nor mere idea. It causes no birth pains, never gets boring, and never unfaithful. It's consistently the same from the first drop to the last. Break its seal, and all the slumbering dreams within it burst forth to greet you. Oh, God! I'll give half my life to prayer if you grant me but a single straw to clutch at and ride like a mighty stallion until the day I'm laid on straw myself. Oh, what a strange, uncanny evening. Down below a perfect stillness, up above the fleeting, shifting clouds, the sun appearing, disappearing. See those strange figures up there all chasing one another? Those long, white shadows with terrifying matchstick legs and bat-like wings, and all such swirling turmoil while down below nothing stirs, not a leaf, not a single blade of grass. The earth has curled up into a ball of fear, like a stricken child, and above its cradle the ghosts go marching. I don't know what you're on about. I'm in a lovely mood, perfectly lovely. The sun looks like an ensign. The fiery clouds above it are its legend, the golden sun. The earth and river down there look like they're a wine-splashed table, and we're lying upon it like playing cards that God or the devil are having a game without a pure boredom. You're the king, I'm the knave. All we need is a queen, a beautiful queen, with a great big uh, heart adorning a chest and a very long nose sentimentally buried in a mighty tulip. And by God, there she is. But it's not really a tulip, it's... Oh, it's a pinch of snuff. And, uh, it's not really a nose, it's a giant proboscis. Uh, why, dear lady, do you stride so fast that we can see your once comely calves all the way up to your supremely respectable garters? Why, dear sir, do you open your trap so wide that you make a hole in the outlook? Uh, so that uh, you, dear lady, don't bloody your nose by, by colliding with the horizon. Thy nose is as the town of Lebanon which looketh towards Damascus. Dearest, tell me, is the way so long? Oh, every way is long. The ticking death watch in our breast is slow. Each drop of blood is measured in its pace. Our entire life's a creeping fever. For tired feet, every way is long. And for tired eyes, every light's too harsh. For tired lips, every breath too hard. For tired ears, every word too much. In we go. Oh, dear Valerio, couldn't Hamlet's words be mine as well? Would not this, sir, and a forest of feathers, with two provincial roses on my raised shoes, 
get me a fellowship in a cry of players. I do think I said it with perfect melancholy. <laughs> Thank God I'm beginning to be delivered of my melancholy. The earth is no longer so clear and cold. The heavens descend and fold me in their hot embrace and welcome droplets fall at last. Oh, that voice is the way so long. Many voices speak over the earth and you think they speak of other things, but this one I have understood. It rests upon me like the spirit that hung over the waters before the coming of the light. Such ferment in the deepest depth, such burgeoning of life within me. Oh, how the voice goes coursing through the very air. Is the way so long? <laughs> no. The way to the madhouse is not so long. It's easy to find. I know every footpath, side road, and highway. Already I can see him heading that way along an avenue of trees on an ice cold day in the middle of winter, holding his hat beneath his arm and stepping amongst the barren trees and their long drawn shadows, fanning his face with his pocket handkerchief. Oh, he's mad. Quite mad. <laughs> about the creature. Just settle into your room. He was so old beneath his golden curls. Spring on his cheeks and winter in his heart. How sad. A tired body can always find a pillow. But when the spirit is tired, where shall it rest? A terrible thought occurs to my mind. I believe there are people unhappy, incurably unhappy, simply because they exist. Where are you going, my child? I want to go down to the garden. But listen. But listen. You know what I'm like. I should really have been planted in a flower pot. I need dew and night air as the flowers do. Do you hear the gentle chorus of the evening? The way the day is lulled to sleep by the song of crickets? The scent of gilly flowers. I can't stay cooped up here. The walls of the room are collapsing on top of me. The Garden of the Inn. So very lovely nature is, but it'd be a damn sight lovelier without gnats to sting you, bed bugs to bite you, and death watch beetles sticking in the walls. And what a din! In there, people snoring out here, frogs croaking. House crickets racketing inside, field crickets racketing outside. Well, dear Lord, I'm all forlorn. Oh, night, as balmy as the first that sank on paradise. A songbird twittered in its dreams. The night slips deeper into sleep. Her cheek grows paler. Her breath more quiet. The moon is like a sleeping child. Its golden curls have tumbled over its tender face. Oh, its sleep is death. 
Look, a dead angel lying on his cushion of black with stars for candles all around him. Poor child, are the boogeymen coming to get you? Where's your mother? Won't she give you one last kiss? Oh, the sadness of it. Dead and so alone. Arise in your dress so white and walk through the night behind the corpse to sing its threnody. Who speaks? A dream. But dreams are blessed. Then dream yourself blessed and let me be your blessed dream. The most blessed dream of all is death. Then let me be your angel of death and let my lips descend like angels' wings upon your eyes. A kiss. You beautiful corpse, you lie so sweetly on the somber pall of night that even nature turns her back on life and falls in love with death. No, leave me be! Too much! Too much! All my being in this single moment. Now die! More is impossible. Out of chaos comes creation bursting forth towards me, so alive and new, so radiant with beauty. The earth is a chalice of darkest gold. Oh, how the light within it effervesces, spills over the rim and streams, and from its sparkling bubbles all the stars appear. My craving lips reach out to drink, and this one taste of bliss makes me a precious vessel. And now, to throw myself into the deep, most holy cup. Holy, your serene serenity, Let me go! You promised to let up and let well alone, and I'll let you go. Blockhead! Your Highness! Have you really not outgrown such romantical posturing? You're like a half-baked lieutenant tossing his glass over his shoulder as soon as he's drunk to his sweetheart's health. Perhaps you're right. Don't worry, though. Even if you won't be sleeping under the grass tonight, you might as well sleep on it. Be a second attempt at suicide if you used one of the beds in that place. You lie on the straw like a corpse, but the fleas soon tell you you're alive. All right, why not? Good God, man, you deprived me of the most beautiful suicide. Never in my life shall I find such a perfectly suitable opportunity. And the weather is so ideal. Ah, I'm already quite out of the mood. This fellow here with his yellow waistcoat and sky blue trousers has ruined the entire thing. Pray God for a sound and dreamless sleep. Amen to that. As for me, I've saved a human life, and my good conscience will keep me warm tonight. Here's to you, Valerio. Garden of the Inn. Get married? Since when has your highness been aiming for the eternal treadmill? Do you realize, Valerio, that even the lowliest of people have so much within them that a whole lifetime is far too short to ever love them enough? In any case, 
Why spoil the fun of those that fondly imagine there's nothing so sacred and beautiful that they shouldn't try to make it even more so? There's a certain pleasure to be had from such harmless arrogance. Why deprive them of it? It's very humane and philobestial. But does she know who you are? She knows she loves me, that's all. And does your highness know who she is? What a fool you are. Try asking a carnation or dewdrop its name. At least that means she's something, if that's not too indelicate or too reminiscent of a police description. But let's see, how can we manage it? Mm. Listen, Prince, will you make me chief minister if this very day and in the presence of your father you are fully, formally, and officially spliced to this nameless ineffable wonder? Word of honor? Word of honor. Poor devil Valerio, most humbly takes leave of his ministerial excellency, Lord Valerio of Valerium. I know thee not, old man. I banish thee on pain of death. <laughs> Open area in front of the palace of Popo. Schoolmaster, how are your people holding up? They're holding up so well in their agony that they've been holding on to one another for quite some time now. They're guzzling alcohol like mad, otherwise they couldn't possibly hold out so long in this heat. Keep it up, you lot. Hold your fir branches straight up in front of you so people think you're a forest and take your noses for strawberries, your tricorns for antlers, and your shiny backsides for moonlight amidst the trees. And don't forget... Whoever's at the back must keep running to the front, so it looks as if there are twice as many of you. Just remember, schoolmaster, you stand for sobriety. Stands to reason, except that I can scarcely stand for sheer sobriety. Listen here, you people. It states in the official program that all subjects without fail must voluntarily place themselves along the road wearing clean clothes, a contented expression, and a well-fed air. Don't let us down, do you hear? Be steadfast now. Don't scratch behind your ears or blow your nose with your fingers while the royal pair are driving past, and whip up a suitable show of emotion, or you'll be getting a taste of the whip yourselves. Show some appreciation of your generous treatment. After all, you've been carefully positioned downwind of the kitchen so that just for once in your life you catch a whiff of roast meat. Have you remembered your lesson? Have you? V? V. Vat. Vat. Vivat. Vivat. <laughs> there you are, Mr. Prefect, sir. You can see how intelligence is on the increase. Just think. It's Latin. But in addition, this evening we'll be living a transparent galabal by dint of all the holes in our jackets and trousers, and we'll punch each other's heads so we have bruises for cockades. A grand stateroom in the Palace of Popo. What a miserable fiasco. The day of the wedding, 
and everything's getting ruined. The roasts are shriveling. The congratulations are turning sour. The stand-up collars are drooping like melancholy pig's ears. The nails and beards of the peasants are already growing long again. The soldiers' hairdos are starting to collapse. Of the dozen maids of honor, there is not one that wouldn't rather be horizontal than vertical. In the little white dresses, they look like tired Angora rabbits. And the court poet goes grunting and shuffling around them like a fretful guinea pig. The officers of the guard are visibly wilting. Servant! Tell that young teacher she'd better send her boys for a piddle. The poor court chaplain. The tail of his coat has such a melancholy droop. I do believe he has ideals and is busily transforming all the chamberlains into chamber pots. He's quite worn out from all this standing. All flesh is weak when it comes to standing. Even the court chaplain has become thoroughly got down since he first got up. The ladies are glistening with so much sweat. They look like mobile salt machines. Their necklaces look like crystallized salt. At least they're trying to make themselves comfortable. No one could accuse them of taking too much on their shoulders. Though not open-hearted, they certainly bare-chested. Yes, they're like maps of the Ottoman Empire. You can see the Dardanelles in the Sea of Marmara. Get cracking, you scoundrels! Keep watch by the windows! His Majesty's coming. So the princess has disappeared as well? Is there still no trace of my beloved heir? Have my orders been followed? Are the borders being watched? Yes, Your Majesty. The view from this room here allows us to keep the most rigorous watch. Servants, what have you seen? A dog's run right through the kingdom in search of his master. And you? Someone's out walking on the northern border, but it's not the prince. I'd recognize him for me. And you? Begging your pardon, sir. Nothing. Well, that's not very much! But, my dear Privy Council, did I not make a clear resolution that on this very day my royal majesty should be joyful and the wedding be celebrated? Was this not our most solemn resolve? Yes, your majesty. That is indeed what the minutes record. And wouldn't I be compromising myself most profoundly if I didn't adhere to my own resolution? If it were ever possible for your majesty to compromise yourself, then this may be a case where you might possibly be compromised. Have I not given my royal word? Yes, I shall put my resolution into effect this instant. I shall herewith be joyful. Oh, I am full of quite extraordinary joy. We all share your majesty's feelings, insofar as mere subjects are entitled and able to do so. Oh, I am quite beside myself with joy. I shall clothe my chamberlains in new red tunics. I shall promote a few cadets to lieutenant. I shall allow my subjects to... But then, what about the marriage? Doesn't the other half of my resolution declare and determine that the marriage shall be celebrated? 
Yes, your majesty. But what if the prince doesn't come and the princess neither? Yes, if the prince doesn't come and the princess neither, then... Then, then, then what? Then, then, then it must be admitted that they cannot marry. But stay. Is your conclusion truly logical? If... Then... Quite right. But what about my word? My royal word? Let your majesty take comfort from other majesties. A royal word is a thing... A thing... A, a, a thing that is nothing. Do you still see nothing? Nothing, nothing your majesty. Nothing, nothing, nothing at, at all. all. And I had resolved to be so full of joy... I wanted to start on the stroke of noon and be full of joy for twelve whole hours. Oh, it's making me quite melancholic. Your subjects will be ordered to share your emotions. For the sake of propriety, however, all persons not equipped with a handkerchief are forbidden to shed tears. Wait, I can see something. It's a sort of protuberance, a kind of nose. The rest of it hasn't yet crossed the frontier. And I can see a man as well, and another two persons of opposite sexes. Which way are they going? They're coming closer. They're approaching the palace. They're here. Who are you? Remove your masks. I'm not sure I know. Am I this mask? Or this? Or this? What a frightening thought. If I keep on removing layer after layer, I might peel myself entirely away. But surely you must be something. If your majesty so commands. But in that case, gentlemen, turn the mirrors to the wall, cover your shiny buttons, and don't look at me like that lest I see my reflection mirrored in your eyes. Or I truly won't know anymore who I am. This fellow is throwing me into total turmoil and deep desperation. I am calamitously confused. But, but, what I really wanted to do was to announce to this noble and venerable company the arrival of these two world-famous automata. I would have added that I am perhaps the third and the oddest of the ball. If that is, I myself actually knew for certain who I am, though no one, by the way, should be surprised that I don't, since I myself know nothing of what I say and don't even know that I don't know, so that it's highly probable that I'm simply being made to talk like this and that in reality it's nothing but cylinders, pipes, and windbags speaking these words of mine. Ladies and gentlemen, you see before you two per persons of opposite sex, a male and a female, a gentleman and a lady. Nothing but cunning clockwork, nothing but springs and pasteboard. Each of them has the most delicate ruby spring beneath the nail of their left little toe. Press it very gently, and the mechanism runs for a full 50 years. They're so perfectly crafted, these people here, that you couldn't distinguish them from ordinary humans if you didn't already know they were painted pasteboard. They could even be turned into fully-fledged members of proper society. They're extremely noble, since they speak with the right kind of accent. They're extremely moral, since they rise by the clock, take lunch by the clock, and retire by the clock. They have good digestion, which is certain proof of a good conscience. 
They have the most exquisite sense of decorum since the lady knows no one for trousers and the gentleman will never dream of going upstairs behind a woman or downstairs in front of one. They're extremely cultured since the lady can sing all the latest operas and the gentleman wears cuffs. Take note, ladies and gentlemen, they are now at an interesting stage. The mechanism of love is beginning to operate. The gentleman has already carried the lady's shawl a few times. The lady has already rolled her eyes and gazed heavenwards a few times. On several occasions, they have both whispered, Faith, love, hope. They already seem as good as hitched. All that's needed now is a quick amen. In effigy. That's it. In effigy. Tell me, President. If someone's hanged in effigy, isn't that just as good as if he were hanged for real? Begging your majesty's pardon, uh, but it's better by far since he comes to no harm, yet is hanged all the same. That's it! That's it! I've got it! We'll celebrate the wedding in effigy. That's the prince, and that's the princess. I shall carry out my resolution. After all, I shall be joyful. Let the bells ring out. Get your congratulations ready. Look lively, chaplain. Begin, Pox! Leave this damnable faces and begin! Come! If we... Or... Rather... But on the other hand... In consideration whereof and notwithstanding... For inasmuch... As it came to pass before the creation of the world? That God was desperately bored. Do get on with it, dear fellow. <clears throat> if it is so, please, your highness, Prince Leonce of Popo, and if it is so, please, your highness, Princess Lena of Peepy, and if it so, please, you both together to take each other conjointly and mutually in wedlock. Then speak aloud an audible yes. 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 Then I say, Amen. Very well done, short and sweet. So that's it then. Man and woman created in a trice with all the beasts of paradise around them. Sir, take off your mask. The, the prince. prince. The prince, my son. What a disaster. What a deception. Who is this person? I declare the whole thing null and void. Remove your mask at once. The princess! Lena? Leonce? Paradise, Lena. I do believe we fled to paradise. I've been deceived. I've been deceived. Oh, chance. Oh, providence. <laughs> I have to laugh. I really have to laugh. By chance, your highness happened to have happened on each other. <laughs> I hope you'll be happy it happened this way. Fancy me living to see the day. A wandering prince. Now I can die in peace. Children, I am moved. So deeply moved. I am quite transfixed. I am the... I am the happiest of men, but I hereby transfer my regal powers to you, my son, and from this moment on, I shall start to do nothing but think, undisturbed. 
So that I am properly assisted in this arduous task, my son, you will grant me possession of these fountains of wisdom, the Privy Council. Come, gentlemen, we must think, we must think undisturbed. That man made me so confused just now. I must order my thoughts all over again. Gentlemen, my wife and I are most infinitely sorry that you have spent so much time today standing about on our behalf. Your position is so pitiful that we should not wish at any price to make you withstand more standing. Go home now, but don't go forgetting your speeches, your sermons, your verses. For tomorrow, we shall calmly and quietly do the whole farce again from beginning to end. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. There now, Lena. Do you see how full our pockets are? Full of puppets and playthings? What game shall we play with them? Shall we fit them all out with mustaches and muskets? Shall we stick them in tailcoats, dump them in the dunghill of politics and diplomacy, and settle down with a microscope to study their antics? Or do you fancy a barrel organ on which sundry aesthetical milk-white shrew-mice dance and caper? Shall we build a theatre? No! My lord! We'll have all the clocks in the kingdom destroyed, all calendars banned. Then measure the hours and months by the flower clock alone, by the rhythms of blossom and fruit. And then we'll surround our entire little kingdom with sun-trap mirrors, so that winter will be banished forever. In the summer we'll have the warmth of Capri and Ashia, and all through the year we shall wander amongst violets, roses, oranges, and bay. And I shall be chief minister and issue a decree that anyone getting calluses on their hands shall be taken into care. Anyone working themselves sick shall be guilty of a crime. And anyone boasting of earning their bread by the sweat of their brow shall be declared insane and a danger to society. And then we shall all lie down in the shade and pray God for macaroni, melons and figs, for melodious voices, classical bodies, and a comfortable Religion. We hope you enjoyed this Standby for Places production. If you want to hear more radio plays, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. New episodes come out every Wednesday. And follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash standbyforplaces and Instagram at standbyforplacespod. 